One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, thirty six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify. dot com slash work. Shopify. dot com slash work. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hanfield and Michael Sidgwick here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Collision, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT Dubai. Oh! Pay per views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete. Bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, we are here to review last night's AEW Dynamite. Michael Cedric, what did you make of it? There were moments on this show where I was just wowed by PKEW. Just yes. doing AEW things of which only this promotion is capable. And there were other things that I had huge problems with. <laughs> it's a Thursday morning. <laughs> I had, like, one heat problem. The rest was good. I thought it was a really, really fun dynamite. Um, I, I'm going to repeat a raw thing here. I like more of the characters than I don't. Yeah. I like more of the directions than I don't. I recognize that a couple of the big stories uh, have a certain WWE flavor to them. That being, I don't know, ready solid, but like, <laughs> I like ready solid. Like, I, I'm enjoying what AEW is putting in front of me. Uh, but the benefit of a dynamite is that more of it, well, most of the time in Canada, is received by a hot crowd. Mm-hmm. It's not an every week guarantee, but you're going to get more of them than you get for Raw. It's more than one a month. Like way more. Uh, like, more a month. Uh, with dynamite, it's two in it. So that's double. <laughs> like, so I. <laughs> Raw, I think there's been one hot crowd all year. Monday. Yeah. And they were called Balty Lads. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I had a load of fun watching this show, I've got to be honest. Um, and I thought the MJF, Adam Cole stuff was just inspired. And yeah, I, I haven't really got any faults to pick on much of this show. Um, mainly because I'm a sadist who enjoys watching you two suffer. So the moment Matt Hardy appeared on the screen and then what happened with him, I was like, double whammy, guys. But uh, we'll get to that in due course. Can I have your hottest hand, Tony, so you if I can kill that as well? Someone, I can't remember who replied to your tweet, uh, but the monkey spore thing, which is obviously something you say all the time, I thought was the perfect analogy. Mox used a guitar and his little sojourn to Japan. He used a guitar. I was like, are you trying to tell me something, Moxley? Am I going to? I'm going to come. No, I'm not. It's my no, hardy. No, no one comes. No, no one comes. <laughs> Isaiah Cassidy being the literal rule, yeah, <laughs> literal rule-proving exception. Um, so we open the show. We're starting with a blind eliminator quarterfinal. I think it was um, Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen. 
versus Keith Lee and Swerve. Can they coexist? Uh, but before that, Renee Paquette is uh, there with uh, Darby Allen and Keith Lee. Uh, Darby Allen says to Lee, you kind of feel a bit lost in the shuffle since uh, losing the tag titles. Why don't you do something about it and pull your head out of your ass instead of just pouting on the apron? I was like, don't poke the bear, as Taz said. And uh, yeah, I think Keith Lee said something like that. That's ballsy. I mean, it's stupid, but ballsy. I love Dynamite making um, like unique format choices because it's definitely got a style and a pace. I think that's what everybody said about Collision. I don't think there's been one perfect episode of Collision, but everybody's made a point of saying it feels like a different broadcast of yes. Dynamite. Uh, so I welcome the idea of the about to be a match, and then it's just, wait, we're actually going to hear from people right now. Dynamite doesn't do that ever, really. However, it does bring to the forefront and not for the only time in the show, like how, I love the Blind Eliminator, I think it's good, but it's incredibly convoluted. And just finding time for Darby Allen to bring the baby face fire out of Keith Lee seconds before their match, it's like, it's a bit fake, isn't it? But well, I love the idea of it. I, I do like them all switching very up. fake. Yeah. And, I, and I've got problems with certain directions, but we'll get into that later. I mean, we're going to have a go, obviously, at the, the outcome of the Matt Hardy and his partner reveal. I'm annoyed that they haven't done the big tumbler for everyone. I'd love to, I feel like that's a... It's all very haphazard, the way yeah. it's... Yeah, so weird, this rollout. So weird. Um, so Darby Allen, as if he hadn't wound up Keith Lee enough, started the match by slapping him. And then I was taken back to Keith Lee's first match in AEW, and your call, your call in advance of it, of just... What's the biggest bill you've ever seen? Well, you're about to see a bigger one. That was yeah. insane. This one was arguably bigger. Uh, just goaded. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. And it just set the tone for what I thought was an incredible opener. Yeah, really fun, this. Uh, Darby Allen gets out of the supernova, brings in Orange Cassidy, who does his unique offense until Keith Lee's right. Like, right, enough of that. Big old double chop. Callum were talking about souls leaving bodies. And Cassidy's like, wait, 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 wait. Got to put my hands in my pockets. <laughs> and he eats another one. They finally decide, let's team up and try and take out this massive bloke. Do Darby Allen and Orange Cassidy. Coffin splashes and orange punches. All our uh, incomes Strickland. Um, and he tries to set up for a big superplex at one point on Darby Allen. Keith Lee with... Because often we say this as like... Why would you do that move? It'd also harm your tag team partner. The one time it works, because he wants to. Great spot, that was This is it? so great. Yeah. Tower of Doom spot, yeah, so he effectively powerbomb Swerve, and as Swerve would react a little bit later, eh, fine. Um, <laughs> Cassidy comes back in. Uh, Darby Allen gets the ring steps dropped on his ribs by Swerve. Uh, Cassidy puts a sleeper on Lee, and as if Darby Allen hadn't suffered enough, Lee goes up the steps whilst they're on uh, Darby Allen, basically. Lee gets in the ring, blocks the DDT, keeps blocking the Stun Dog Millionaire. Cassidy finally manages to hit it. Darby Allen hits a code red for two. Strickland tries to break it up with a 450, but uh, Darby Allen sees it coming and moves. So effectively, Swerve Strickland and 450 his partner, which he's ecstatic about. Um, they both, Keith Lee and Swerve, both try big old swings to take out their opponents and collide with each other and couldn't care less. Uh, and then Orange Cassidy hits a top rope DDT on Strickland, a diving one on the floor to Keith Lee. Oh my God. And Darby Allen gets Strickland in the last supper for the one, two, three. And Keith Lee's so uh, unbothered by his team going out of this tournament that he even fist bumps Orange Cassidy after the match. There is an element of, oh, you could have had a title shot. And that's what AEW at its core used to be. That was literally the one thing that annoyed me was that post-match. I get it for the story they're telling. I just don't necessarily think that 
a title opportunity shot should be bantered off. Yes. Tell, tell a better story. I think they should have made the final. Swerve being like, are we just better together? And then keep like that being the nucleus of a breakup or something. Forget it. This uh, was about what ten different great matches rolled into one. Yeah. <laughs> um, like unbelievable. It was a dramatic party match. Should be an oxymoron, but in the hands of AEW, when operating with peak freedom freedom of expression, mm-hmm. it wasn't a dramatic party match. A somehow great can they coexist match, which was embodied by that spot you just put over mm. the walking tower of doom and how it hurt two opponents, and that makes sense for once. This ultra creative, right, really exhilarating match in which a big man was presented as a big man, unlike any other North American major I've seen in probably years. Like they could not remove this guy from his feet. They could not remove this guy from his feet. They tried so often with so many different creative approaches, and it just was not working. Like Keith Lee looked like the mountain of old. And then, because he looked so like the literal embodiment of the immovable object, when he finally takes a bump, that 2017 PWG Keith Lee could be really proud of, with that ridiculous tornado DDT to the outside, that mattered and got over all the more Mm. because of the really careful build they'd been doing. I paid Darby Allen the highest possible compliment on Twitter earlier. He's got that Young Bucks magic. The match layout, Mm. he's a wizard at it. It's always creative, it's always incredibly exhilarating. It's always so much more dramatic than it has any right to be for a TV opener. This was a mini dynamite masterpiece, a match that could only be promoted by this promotion in which you could just tell, like, I don't want to reduce it to, oh, it was really fun, that match. It was, but just every single step of the way, an absolutely unreal amount of loving thought went into it. I just adored this experience. Literally every single step. That fee five for fun bit with the, where he's got like Orange Cassidy with him while crushing Darby Allen. And like he tweeted something to the effect of, I didn't see him under the steps. Sorry. Like, so like, it's Keith Lee all the way back. Is that, is that what's just happened here? That was the, that was the goal. Yeah. And it, and the, they scored. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm all in now on Keith Lee and Swerve somehow finally having this goddamn match that I was, that everyone was called on. I don't think I was like, oh, everyone was called on. You know, that. like that wasn't sort of this, it was a consensus basically. And they've got that back. Uh, Darby and Orange Cassidy, as they should be, really, are the overwhelming favourites of Blind Eliminator because they're a, they were already a team. Mm. Like it's worked out very nicely for them that they're in the t- the tournament together, and this put them over as their favourites to win it. Like Orange Cassidy and Darby well, versus FTR, goaded. Mm. Like that's I have some of that. Not my pick, but you know, fair enough. I like fifty percent of one of the other teams in it, and I do like. Uh, Big Bill and Big Bry on Rampage. That's, that's that's a lot of fun. That's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> so so two things on this. I was like, oh, we're going to watch Rampage this week. I still no, but, you know, it, it got close. I don't know if I know the brackets, but having two big lads against Cole, knowing what MGF's trying to do is a really cool idea. Yeah. This is what I was saying. When I said quarterfinal there, I was like, is there too many teams for a quarterfinal? Is there actually... I need to find if They've not bracket. done the brackets. I think, right, what they're trying to do here is they realise that their tournaments can be predictable, is this a workaround? Or if you don't know the brackets, you don't know where it's going. The, is it okay because the brackets are blind too? It's not just a pair. Everything's blind. So you don't know who you're going to be well, facing. I don't know. You don't know who you're going to be teaming with. You just don't know. Like, is that the Maybe, point I'd, of it? Yeah, like the, it's supposed never, to. That had never crossed my mind, to, yeah. to be fair. I love this bollocks me, man. You're going to abandon the rankings. Abandon them in style. Yes. Do this nonsense all That's the, the time. That's the thing. It's not stylish enough. It's not stupid enough for me, but we'll get into that uh, later. Mm. 
Uh, let's move on to, I think, one of Sidgwick's favourite moments on this Dynamite. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is um, Darby Allen talking about Nick Wayne, who is going to make his debut next week. Um, and they talk about the Buddy Wayne Academy, uh, an eight-year-old leaping all over the place when, when Darby Allen turned up to train. Uh, the sad passing, of course, of Buddy Wayne and uh, the anger he felt when he received that news. Uh, and he made a pact with himself, did Darby Allen, to watch over Nick Wayne and make sure he gets everything he ever wanted in life. Telling Tony Khan... You know, don't just don't do a sympathy hire. This kid is the future. He's insanely talented. He's 17 years old, he got offered a contract. They showed the footage of him revealing that, of course. Uh, now he's 18. Uh, and yeah, and I think he makes his debut next week. Absolute perfection, this. Nothing more, nothing less. It was perfect. Nine times out of ten, more often than not, AEW doesn't do a vignette because there's no need to do a vignette. Its audience is already familiar with the vast world of wrestling on the indies and the international stage. It makes no sense for them to do a vignette because it's meant to build character. And what no one ever talks about genuinely with a vignette is that it presents a one-dimensional character more often than not. Mm. People think you're getting this incredibly rich backstory and you get everything you need to know about this character. If you just did a vignette, it's all very one-dimensional. Sorry. This was the time to do a vignette because I'm glad. I think Nick Wayne's a special talent and he's been, you know, built as a special talent throughout. I would like to think that if Dark and Elevation still existed, you wouldn't be shunted on there first. Like they've already had a massive plan. Like they've gone to Defy, presented him with a contract, and built this moment, what, like at least a year ago? Yeah. This is exactly the kind of character who needs a vignette. And there are a few, in my opinion. He's got this incredibly, um, like, he's got this really deep history where you can combine this, like, emotional heft of the very horrible thing that has happened to him as a young man, twinned with the fact that he's this incredibly precocious talent. And if you're unfamiliar with Nick Wayne, you might think I'm a hypocrite for putting him over because I've told you that I'm a little bit tired of, like, kick pad flip guys. Yes. I.e. Action Andretti. But it kind of works within the context of Nick Wayne's character because he was this precocious guy doing it at 16 years old. He's the sort of person raised on Will Ospreay when I was raised on Ronnie Garvin. That's how how old I am. Um, But it makes sense for him to be an acolyte of that style. He's got at least 10 years. In 10 years' time, he'll be seven years away from his wrestling prime. Jeez. like That's how ridiculous it is. So they've just nurtured and preserved his backstory and told it because it's not a story. It's better than fiction. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they've baby-faced one of their biggest stars in Darby Allen, and he, in this role as the narrator, has introduced the audience to this next sensational babyface. They stayed out of their own way, just adapted the story as it should have been adapted, but the use of Darby Allen here was just totally and phenomenally inspired. And I'm not going to say anything about the Swerve match until next week, I don't want to step on the dick of the preview. Mm. This was absolute perfection in terms of launching this character. Yeah, completely agree. Nothing else to add other than Darby Allen being the middle of a Nick Wayne Sting intergenerational trios group where like none of them are related, but you feel like you're watching granddad, dad, grandson. <laughs> like that will be the vibe when the three of them come together. Trios champions. Yeah, like I, like that immediately will work. And Dar- like Darby Allen being a guy who's yet to win like by wrestling standards yet to win the big one yet to really fulfill what should be your traditional goals is going to be positioned as like this 
mentor figure, this inspirational figure who is still in the position where he can have one of his own. This isn't a Dana Brooke on NXT situation. Darby Allen's done loads mm. and feels brothered into the industry at this point that he can do that for somebody else. I really, really love the immediate sense of chemistry between them. It's great stuff. Uh, Tony Schiavone's backstage waiting for Jack Perry to arrive and he pulls up and he says, I'm not a thug like Hook. Uh, we need to fight in the ring like professionals. I'm here to go and visit Tony Khan in his office and demand an FTW title match. But before he can do that, Hook comes flying in, gets a few shots in before Jack Perry jumps back in his car and hightails it out of there for the second week in a row. <laughs> he wasn't my car! It was like they felt obliged to do something with Perry this week and already the lack of conviction was a bit damning for me. Like, oh, we'll have to get this on the show, but uh, it wasn't well received. Let's just do the angle again and then come back next week. That's not how you present, in my opinion, a newly turned top heel. Just, it felt like he was... Uh, An afterthought? Just, yes. Less is more, though. I think they got more out of him this week than they did last. They did the exact same thing. It's funnier, I think, that he's still out and about in the car. Like, I want to believe he's driven around all week, pretty much, trying to avoid Hook, and he's got to the one place where, oh, I have to come here, and he's off again on the road. I want him to see him in the ne same clothes next week. I get it. <laughs> it's a nice headcanon, but at the same time, if he was, this should be a bigger deal than it is, is my yeah. thing with it. Mm. To, like, uh, babyface lifer with an AEW has turned heel. That should be huge. And he's already it? doing the, uh, this is on Dynamite now, and it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh -huh. So we see a recap of MGF and Adam Cole becoming a team and agreeing to hang out from last week's Dynamite. And then we cut to a session from earlier on in the week at the gym. MGF's waiting outside for this lazy slacker who never hits the gym, except Adam Cole's already inside waiting for him. Um, uh, so MGF thanks Cole for the big bro session and uh, Cole's spotting him on the weight rack or whatever it's called. Um but he's not really because he's just sort of paying attention to his phone and going, oh, Max, go on, one more set or whatever. Uh, and then MJF sees a man who's not in the best of shape, let's say, uh, and he jokes to Adam Cole that he took his pants to the laundromat and they said, sorry, we don't do, sorry, we don't do curtains. And Cole's like, hey, 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 you can't say that stuff anymore. He's not on board with this. Um then MGF says, you know who he reminds me of? And simultaneously, they both say, Tony Schiavone. <laughs> they found common ground. Incredible bit. And they laugh. And then Adam Cole sort of catches himself and realizes what he's doing here. And then it, Cole says, actually, do you mind spotting me? And MGF's like, yeah, I mean, should we take some of this off? Because look at you. And not only does he lift what MGF does, he does more sets. Uh, and then says, kind of, what's next, does Adam Cole? And MJF's like, what the... F and then, end of a brilliant vignette. This is a really great vignette with a deeper purpose in terms of why MJF is threatened by Adam Cole and how that would manifest and go further later. I wish they'd framed it in a different way. They did acknowledge the camera, and it's one of those things where it's like, I can understand why Hamlet feels like they should just not do it half the time because it just feels more contrived mm. or almost as contrived. Are you shooting us, Brandon? Yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. Because there was like music cues yeah. <laughs> in this, and I just found that odd. Mm. I got that rancid WWE vibe from the way in which this was produced. If they'd had, I don't know, MGF say, I oh, don't mind if my personal trainer comes along, I document everything I do. I want to make sure that I've got a great body. Yeah, my keep, form's mm, correct. That I have to have it on video and keep track of it. You could it. say, can we film it for your Twitch, Chugs? 
Because he's just raided that, hasn't he? Yeah, like the, something like that, like a personal trainer, no music cues, nothing to make it feel like fake. I just wish they'd thought about that detail a little bit longer. Uh, everything else in this was just uh, <laughs> it's funny. It was so good. The put. The Puff Tony Schiavone comparison unreal was absolutely unreal. It's one of those uh, jokes as well that you yourself feel guilty for laughing at, but that's great black comedy. Murray um, told me that um, Puff had tweeted yesterday that he's like he's, he's had his best weight loss day in forever, and he must have been setting up the bit of being yeah, like yeah, yeah. the token big guy yeah. in the gym. I hope he signs, by the way. Like we loved him in those uh, like appearances he made on Dark. So I hope this is just signing more things to come for him. Absolutely, and I love as well the. I'm gonna get. To a minor complaint, I guess, with all of this later. I'm going to be the one who's not as high on the fun because that's just my personality. <laughs> <laughs> but I love how this whole thing is, from MGF's part at least, is premised on the fact that, right, okay, this guy almost beat me. I know deep down he almost beat me. And if there were a few minutes left in the match, I would have had to put up that title. This guy's a threat. How, and he's got a stake for the title. Uh, what do I do about this? I'm scared. So his idea is to literally and figuratively try and make Adam Cole feel small. Like, are you sure you can't do these reps? I'm going to throw you a birthday party like a little boy, but you've got a tiny little cake (laughs) because you've got little noodle arms and I'm stronger and bigger Mm. and more jacked and I'm trying to neg you Mm. in uh, having a really low level of confidence into the eventual rematch. I love that the trappings and the sort of tone of it so far, I might have a little complaint with, but we'll get to that later. I Yeah, I, no notes really on this Cole MJF stuff for me. I, I think it's working so well. I think it's put over, like, I hope the Blind Eliminator becomes an annual tradition if they like tighten up some of the elements of how it's presented and this kind of gets to be the thing that we remember the most. Mm. Like when like this time next year and it's oh yeah, like look how effective it was for Cole and MJF. I know that there is the um, criticism that is out there that this is too lightweight for a title feud. I completely disagree because what wasn't lightweight was the incredible promo exchange they had and the awesome kick-ass title match one week later. It will get serious again as well. Yeah. It happens every cycle. Yeah. like And the, it's not that... Yeah, and it's it will get serious like every MJF cycle. I mean, yeah, we've had a serious bit already. Yeah. This, is, uh, this has got an added ingredient. I love this. This is the the fun little break we can have before we get to the serious business. And I've got Seriously? so... Seriously? Yeah. And I've got so much faith in the match because they've already shown me that they can give. Yes. So, again, it'd be one of the things where if I was worried about the eventual quality, then this might not land. But the evidence is there. Adam Cole, very sort of Phil Chambers-esque for me. Not only because it was Adam Cole's birthday yesterday and it's Phil Chambers' birthday today at Phil My Chambers, but also because I remember years back this is... Phil was like, do you want to come climbing? And I was like, oh, I used to do that when I was younger. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And we went along, and I'm thinking, look at this. Look at this wiry dude. Is he going to be able to even lift himself up? And then he was, like, climbing up the wall with, like, a f- one finger holding on to a bit. And that Adam Cole's the same. He's he's not got muscles for show. He's got muscles for go. Is that the right? Yeah. <laughs> His muscles can you. <laughs> um then we got the acclaimed and daddy ass uh, versus the blade and the Bollywood boys. Um, Billy Gunn, uh, Billy Gunn earlier on hits a shoulder block, and was he going to get his ass out? Uh, and he was like, maybe not. Well, it was a night for just gambling on if WWE are going to sue you for their trademarks, wasn't it? Yeah. So fair enough. Like, 
Max Caster gets the tag. He runs wild. Body slams. Backdrops every, everywhere. Uh, scissor me timbers. They triple scissor do the acclaimed. And Billy Gunn going into commercial. When we come back, uh, they're in trouble. Then Bowens make the hot, makes the hot tag. Huge fame asser. Uh, Gunn jumps in. Hits the one and only on Harv, I think it was, from the Bollywood boys. Uh, and then Caster hits the mic drop. One, two, three. Uh, very straightforward match. Um Blade teaming with the Bollywood boys because uh, his partner was busy later on. And before they can celebrate with another scissor, Harley Cameron appears on the screen. She's pissed off that they ruined her performance a few weeks ago on the Rampage Baby. Um, she says she's money on the mic and she's made a video. Next week we'll see it. Uh, that we'll see what real talent is. She's the most talented musician on the roster, and they're going to be peanut butter and jealous. And then Billy Gunn gets on the mic and says, "Same as thing, mate." Basically, he does. That's it. That's what the it means. That's what the it means. We we, uh, we cracked that case uh, a long time ago when DX used to say "suck it." I don't yeah. know if you know this. They're talking about their cacks. Yeah. I was bored and pretty profoundly annoyed by this. It used to be, right, that the ranking system is now being mythologized. It was never perfect, mm-hmm. but it was always necessary for, yeah. my, for, for my tastes. It used to be that a team would suddenly, conspicuously, or an act would just win loads of matches on elevation <laughs> that were never really recapped. But because they could say they're 7-0 in two months, they're getting the title match on Well, City Blondes are 16-2. Yeah. What? What? <laughs> We've now reached a point where, in order to get the acclaimed on TV, they are winning trios matches out the ass, <laughs> and their award is not to go over to Collision and work the House of Black, but instead have a feud with QTV, in which QT Marshall does Gillian Hall penned material through Harley Cameron, who can sing. Mm-hmm. We saw her. We did. Yes. But because she's a heel, she won't. She'll be great. She'll be Gillian Hall. Mm. These matches are literally meaningless. Victory in which means nothing because they're nowhere near the trios titles. They should be the number one contenders to the trios titles at this point about 10 times over. Mm. But their reward for winning matches that are just pointless backdrops for QT stuff, QTV stuff, is a program with QT Marshall um, in which he pens Gillian Hall material. So when Harley Cameron said... I'm going to prove that I'm the best musician in AEW. I was just could not be distracted from the fact that, well, they, they've just proved that they're the best trio in AEW, so why are they nowhere near that title? Mm. Why does none of these wins matter anymore? It's so far removed from that essential core framework that I just found myself getting annoyed. And quite frankly, the match was nout. It's The acclaimed turned less than a year ago, and they're already doing their kind of phoned-in greatest hits. Yeah, the lack of focus with the acclaimed is really pissing me off. We're focusing on the wrong bollocks. Well, it's just like, so you've got the key TV thing. You've got the fact that they want Billy Gunn to get another title. But to Sidgwick's point, it can't be the trios ones because, like Malachi Black has said, well, I'm a collision guy. Mm-hmm. Should be dynamite up your ass. Like, <laughs> so they can't, They have to get out with dynamite to get that shot. That they'll do it at some point. And they will. This is a terrible diversion, and it, it makes no sense that they're doing the diversion. They've already fought and lost to the House of Black in a match that had no build, and now they're trying to get a second one by and having heat. a by having yeah by having a build that isn't against them. It's like that's unforgivable lack of focus. But the only reason that they're doing all of these things in this big mix is because they're simply too over to not use. Yeah. So on they go into a dynamite, or on they go into a mm-hmm. rampage. 
And they, or even, yeah, they've done all three in the yeah, last they've done all three. three weeks, right? So they're probably the only act in the whole company that would have done all three in the last three weeks. So that's that, like... Kind of the first guys to do that. <laughs> That'll be Tony Khan's stamp of approval of, like, we need you everywhere. You're super over. Like, if we had any merch, people would buy it. Like, the, you know, like, the, it's that you're one of our safety acts. But fans pick up on that. And a safety act isn't necessarily a pushed one or a winning one. It's, it's really just, over. Yeah, it's like, here you come out to do... But then you kind of get... Do they acclaimed... Are they happy and content to be positioned? Is Billy Gunn telling them he knows worse things than getting outlaws money for the rest of his career? Is, is he saying that to them? Because he's right. Like, look, here he is now still doing the catchphrase, literally on television. Like, there's worse things than having that for the rest of your career. But I don't know. I think AEW's better than just making them the, hey, getting the acclaimed. I, I think it, it's okay to want them to be involved in things that matter as well. I find myself alienated by daddy ass. There's something about his performances I find a little bit smug, like he's having too much fun. Well, we, we well, he was pick- kicking too much ass the other month, wasn't he? Like, he was getting all the big moments. We sort of picked up on this a while back, yeah, and I, we might have just invented it. I think it. we invented it. But, mm. uh, yeah, it felt like for a while that was sort of part of it and that the acclaimed eventually would be like, you thought this was all about you? No, we just sort of let you tag along with our scissoring thing and now you're the reason we didn't win the trios title, so we're going to kick you out of the group, piss off. I just think he looks like he's having... It's fine, they're, they're meant to be a fun act. Yeah. They're meant to be spreading lots of joy and fun and laughter yeah. with the raps. I don't know, Daddy Ash just looks like he's having too much fun out there. <laughs> the, the nepotism of it all is clearer than it ever was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, what this is supposed to be, you never feel that with Sting. Like, Sting's got yeah. loads of friends and he's just got this, like, legacy. So, yeah, give, give him a job and a match if you never, ever feel I'm like I'm on an Sting. island with this. The acclaimed are really over on those yeah. buildings. I think there's a creeping sentiment online of bored of this. Yeah, well, because there's nothing going on the matters. buildings, people love the acclaimed. Everyone does, in fact, love the acclaimed. Mm. I'm, I, I'm not Doug. mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lovely moment next. Um, just footage of Eddie Kingston winning the New Japan Strong Open Weight title against Kenta and obviously getting very emotional about that, achieving his dream. Uh, and then we cut to John Moxley talking about his history with Eddie Kingston. Um, 
through good times and bad, both of them made it out. Why are you so bloody grumpy, Eddie? Hey, talking about oh, young people, old man shouts at clouds, sort of thing. Um, make every day count instead of complaining about the new generation having no respect. Did he say that I last week? This what? felt out of nowhere to me. I like Moxley negging Kingston about we've fallen out and this is your fault. Players on the Renee thing last week of Eddie being the one that's got to fix it for some reason. But ah, uh, where was, is he referring to like Kingston falling out with the hung books? Are those are, are those the young kids in this business? Like the young books and pitch? Because I, I wasn't I'll, clear no, what he was talking. About. Like honestly, I get up very early to watch this every single week. I'd like to think I'm on top of it. I'd like to think that I'm a good analyst for AEW. Kind of was lost here. I have a take that absolutely nobody else will agree with on this whole thing. Eddie Kingston winning that belt as really, really beautiful a moment as it clearly was for him. It's still real me, damn it. There was all that. You could tell it from him. Yeah. I wanted it to be like an AW belt. And that's diluted that a little bit for me. Like, or he's got to lose the belt before he gets home or something. Like, Not one of the more prestigious New Japan titles either. No. Uh, like, it's like he's just holding a piece of silverware. Mm. Never felt like the story. He's won belts in wrestling before. It's not like his first ever belt. The belts, like the the AEW titles are the ones that should have been the things that he was really mm. focused on. It's almost like, you know, this constant, like Grand Slam's come around again, and sure enough, sure as the rain, oh, this has got to be on Kingsman's world title. Yeah. Based on what we just say every year, because Grand Slam's coming around, and this feels like, yet again, a step further away from it. I will never know if our belief in Eddie Kingston as a top guy is just that, or Tony Khan doesn't see it or what. And it's playing the long, long game, I'm still convinced. Hope so. He's on, he's on MJF's list, isn't he? And they've held true to that, so. Uh, we got a graphic for Blood and Guts, of course, and uh, there's going to be an extra member of the BCC and the Elite, and we'll circle back to that in a second with what happened with Chris Jericho and Don Callis. Uh, but before that, Rene Paquette is backstage with RJ City and Matt Hardy, who is uh. who is waiting to find out his um, his partner in the Blind Eliminated Tournament uh, on Rampage. And uh, RJ pulls out a thing and says, oh, it's Jeff. But uh, not Jeff Hardy, it's Jeff Jarrett. Michael Hamflet, your thoughts? No! No, no, no! Fair enough, Sid. What do you make of it? Uh, terrible. It's not as this guy got enough on his plate. Like, he's... Rampage is now the home of Matt Hardy's bollocks, which I remain convinced... Tony Khan tolerates because the Young Bucks are huge, huge fans and friends of Matt Hardy, and he wants to assign them to new deals. Great conspiracy theory, that. Really great. I, can you imagine a world in which Tony Khan is like, oh, I can't wait to book this for Matt Hardy. Or I really want to see this Matt Hardy match. I just don't. I'm convinced it's a ploy to placate, sorry for the alliteration, the Young Bucks. Uh, it's my conspiracy theory. Am I, I'm not being funny. Matt Hardy's over. He's over. He's over, so of course he's going to get used on TV. That's the rule of wrestling, right? And I'm on an island with Matt Hardy. I I mean, he's a polarizing figure. There are people who don't like him online, but in the buildings, they like him. So he's going to get used. I'm aware of this. Does he not have enough to do with Ethan Page? Does he have to be one of those AEW characters who does? They're probably setting up Hardy Party versus Planet Jarrett after the Blind Eliminator as the next... Stupid detour that both acts do um, doesn't mean I have to like it. 
Am I a Wrexham fan? Because I saw this defeat and smashed my f***ing house up. I just, like, I resent. Never have I felt it as much as Sidgwick until this week. It's always sort of been like, because Sidgwick's thing is AEW when Matt Hardy is polluting that. My thing is Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> and like more than AEW, and now he's polluting that. And then, this morning, like, I'm, I'm already going through the seven stages here because I'm, I'm already at bargaining because it's like Jeff Jarrett in the Lake of Reincarnation is unbelievable. Him coming out as the country singer, as the don't piss me off, as the TNA boss, as the whole, like... MMA, double like, J MMA. Double J MMA, like, if, he, if they do that. But they've blown Lake of Reincarnation opportunities time and time again with these Hardy matches. Like, they could have had loads more fun than they had, like the last one. One foot in, one foot out with this Hardy stuff. How I, about both feet out? <laughs> yeah. both, feet, that both feet out and working for another company there's law with Jeff Jarrett and Matt Hardy they had a WrestleCade match I think uh, like it was one of the WrestleMania weekend things and like the God, Matt friggin Hardy the guitar spot went wrong and like they, they just they moved the, you watch it back and like Jeff Jarrett's not quite doesn't have his feet planted Matt Hardy moves early and rather than like the balsa wood guitar exploding as it done as it's done like thousands of times drawing dimes like the edge of it clips Matt Hardy's head and busts him wide open. <laughs> like, it's really, like, bloody and awful. And, like, Matt will probably want to use that. Like, I hated this, man. Kevin Talbot was the one who tweeted the monkey's poor thing. I also want to give a shout-out to the brilliant Travis, who just tre- tweeted when it happened. Ha, 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 f*** you, Michael Hamfret. Hashtag Breelite, woo. Why would you want to go to three inches? Why would you want to go to lame threads when you got legends like Travis? Travis was a legend. Telling you to F off in the middle of the night. Like, wake up to this. F*** you. You're not going to get that in threads. Little, little, little threads. Twitter till I die. Too right. Twitter's a close. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm not, going, I'm not going anywhere else. None of these things ever take off. If it does take off, I'll go there. Until that's dead, mm. until Twitter's dead, I will hate it and love it in equal measure. Yeah. Every now and then I see a tweet. I see hundreds of tweets. I don't think I ever had the rate limit because... I sure would have passed it. I'm, oh, I hate myself how, ob- how obsessed I am with that bloody website. Mm. I see, say I've hit my rate limit, and it's what was, it used to be 600. Yeah, that was about a day, yeah. I'll see <laughs> 599 tweets, and I hate all of them. <laughs> Raj Giri, Matt Coon, I hate, oh God, I see their stuff, am I for you? And it's like, oh, just the worst bad faith ones out there. And I'll say, oh, you're wrong, stupid wrestling fan, for this reason. And it's like, you're not insightful. You're just arguing with a 15-year-old who likes WWE. Like, it's a, it's a, it's pathetic mm. to try and get some intellectual superiority over these obvious trolls. Like, you're not insightful. Mm. You're wasting my time and your own. 599 one of those tweets. And then I'll get a tweet that posts a screenshot from a website that I've not read, and it'll tell you the story of um, Great Carly and Bray Wyatt. <laughs> Have you heard the story? No. They're all, all, about, all the boys are backstage, and Great Carly's turned up for like a, like a reunion show or whatever. He might have turned up for was it, um, Payback Backlash. A battleground? 2017, the Punjabi prison. Yeah. Battleground. You're grounded. Battleground. What great when he When he grabbed the belt for his picture opportunity. Yeah. So Legend. Myers, who's got some, uh, Brian Myers, who's got some history with um, got, with Greg Carley. I think they went deep south together. He's like ribbing him. 
Like, you don't care about this. You're only here for the payday. You don't even know who anyone is. You don't even know my name, do you? He's like, F you, bro. Yes, I do. And the point is, Bray Wyatt. And they say, come on, if you know what's going on, who's that? And Carly goes, oh, f*** you, man. That's Michael Hayes. <laughs> yeah. And I read that 600th tweet. Another great Brian Myers popper. I think he's the, one of the biggest low-key boy poppers in wrestling. <laughs> Did you hear the story? I think it was on their podcast or an interview or something. He got asked, um, you were at the Hall of Fame. Why didn't you run? Yeah. You were at the Hall of Fame in 2019 when Bret Hart got attacked. Of course, yeah. Why didn't you run out to help him? Brian Myers says, I didn't hear anything. My ears had popped because Ricochet and Alistair Black were clapping for Triple H too hard. <laughs> yeah. And I read 599 <laughs> tweets. Uh, that, if that's the 600th, I'll never leave Twitter, ever. I love it, man. Like, I'm ready for this. Like, or like a new culture war started. Twitter versus threads. Like, little, little lame threads. Like, Twitter's be- already feeling like it's going to become another um, Lion King, the elephant graveyard scene, where just the coyotes yes. prowl it. And just like that, we're getting back to, like, message board days. Like, this this is the Twitter I want. Like, only the posters remain. If you were there the first time and you were goddamn hard enough for it, you're going to stick around. You're going to stick with Twitter. Only threads. Threads. Maybe you can change your background on threads. Yeah. I can I can block out the, the noise on threads. The noise is better. Bring the noise. The noise is life. Bring the noise. It's life. Life's on Twitter. Which is ironic because it's dead. Life <laughs> is absolutely dead, and I love it more for it. I dab it. Uh, Chris Jericho comes out. Do you hear you, baby? In Edmonton, yes. Yeah. Um, and he said, uh, over the last few months, things haven't been going the way he would have liked. He's lost quite a lot. Uh, and he talked about traveling back here has reinvigorated him, reminded him of his history, and maybe he can go back to becoming the best Chris Jericho ever. And uh, he's interrupted by Don Callis, who's booed out of the building. He says Jericho needs a change. And he talks about talking to Jericho uh, about main event in the Tokyo Dome with uh, Kenny Omega six years ago. And then Jericho's like, yeah, but let's not forget, I'm the one who helped you get back into this um, Been here. Uh, and back in, and into AEW. And Callis says, I need to build a new family since Kenny Omega destroyed my old one. It's a family built on trust. Uh, and when I think about who I can trust... Uh, I go back to the click. No, I think of my best friend, Chris Jericho. Um, are you ready to change history one more time? Are you ready to join the Don Canis, Callis family? Uh, Don Canis. And uh, Jericho says, I don't join <laughs> factions. I create He's them. got a hugs out with Drama Mysterio. <laughs> but my answer is, maybe, maybe. <laughs> the timing of this, in literally every respect, was oh, chef's case. I suspect this has happened because Danielson's injured and Callis is going to try and get Jericho to join his family and be the fifth member of the BCC team. I have absolute faith that the BCC will go. We feuded with him for eight years last year. (laughs) (laughs) So why is this happening? So I'm optimistic, knowing AEW's continuity, that they'll come up with an explanation for that. Maybe that's what's happened. Maybe this was the direction all along. What a pivot Mm. if it wasn't Mm. the direction. And if it is the direction, what phenomenal timing. Because it has become the pattern that Chris Jericho feuds with someone, loses at the pape. Feuds with someone, loses at the pape. Feuds with someone, loses at the pape. I'm glad that they've acknowledged this cycle 
and had the character acknowledge it and decide, well, I'm a bit now, <laughs> so I need to do something about this. Otherwise, it was starting to feel really fake. And one of my favorite things about peak AEW, kind of hate talking about it, like this sort of demarcation, but we are where we are, was um, Hangman Page lost the World Tag Team titles. His world falls apart, and that's the first stage for the redemption arc. Yes. MGF loses the chance to win the title at All Out 2020. He's like, that won't do. I need to create this scheme to have a faction behind me so I can go at this again. This finally felt like all of these losses have eventually piled up and meant something to Jericho. And for him to cut this promo in this town was, oh my God. Oh my God. So inspired. The idea of, right, well, this reminds me of why I got into this business, how passionate I used to be, how promising I used to be, and I'm kind of in danger of ruining my legacy. And being here again has brought that into focus. This worked serendipity was majestic. The AEW I know and love and how thoughtful this was. So good. And then the timing from the Don Callis character to realize, hang on, he's losing confidence. Of all people, Chris Jericho is losing his confidence. Well, I'll have another meal ticket, please, and pray upon him. <laughs> oh, my God. It's fantastic. He's tethered to both. Yeah. He's tethered as much to the Jericho talking about Winnipeg as he is to the Jericho today that he suddenly needs yeah. out of nowhere. Like, what? I love the sh- out of this. PKW is right. Chris Jericho... I didn't finish, but carry on. Oh, sorry. <laughs> please carry on, please carry on, please carry on. Chris Jericho was supposed to be in the first Blood and Guts against the Elite. He was in the last Blood and Guts against the BCC. Is There's no, there's literally not a better middleman in this whole company when there's two mystery men, or two mystery slots to be filled than Chris Jericho. And at this point, the way what we think of the man makes you think, that's the most incredible game of politics you've just played. Chris, you're kind of the last guy to do that, actually. Um, aye, two mystery partner positions, and he could realistically be slotted into both. And the pick, like, to point, the perfect week on the calendar to do it. That's amazing. It's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. This is what I talk about when I talk about loving AEW. One thing, bit of a plot hole I didn't like. I understand that they needed to put across that uh, you need me more than I need you. No, you need me more than I need you. We've been here before. Oh, maybe we need each other and could benefit from this considering we've both helped each other out before. In storylines, it was Kenny Omega who brought Don Callis into the back door. So why Chris Jericho, in an otherwise immaculately thoughtful segment, has rewritten history and destroyed that continuity to make this story work? Didn't like that. Mm. Didn't like that. Because in storylines, no matter what happened in reality, and surely in reality, Kenny Omega said, I'll just get Don in. But the, the, the storyline is when Don Callis was a big management figure in Impact, Kenny Omega decided to break the forbidden door down and bring Callis in in a ploy to win the title and to realize his mm. heel ambition. So I didn't like that aspect of this, but it was a 9.9 on the pitchfork because it was a point one away from being a 10 out of 10 segment. People aren't going to love this as well because obviously the elite's fifth guy Everybody wants Kota Ibushi, yeah. obviously. Uh, AEW, really smart, by the way. I, I can't not be him at this point. I completely forgot about this yesterday because we even talked about it last week. But like, I'm glad they just went at Kingston's in the G1. You don't need an excuse. You don't need an injury right out. He's in the G1. Like We've, yeah. opened, we've opened wrestling up, and we can say that now, mm-hmm. and they deserve that, you know? Um, I don't hate. I get what you're, point, you're saying, message because there has been a certain expectation raised by Kenny's in Japan. There's a fifth space, is there? Like, 
I don't hate Sammy Guevara being brought into this because there's a feud going on with Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. Like, oh, like Jericho says, no, Callis. And you know what? Now you've said that, like, I'm going to go cap and hand to the elite. They need a guy. And then Don Callis is going to go, invisible hand time, Sammy Guevara, like, Jericho's not the guy, and come with me, blah, blah, blah. And you have a little bit of drama between them. Or BCC and Daniel Garcia for the first time as, as their fifth man. Fundamentally, I disagree. They've teased Kota Ibushi too heavily. Yeah. They know what the fans want. I think it's a terrible idea for it to be anyone except Kota Ibushi. Unless he physically cannot do it, it has to be Kota Ibushi. Yeah, it does. But if he's not around and he's a bit of a wild card. He's a wild card. Very much in that Charlie Day, it's always sunny sense where things can go wrong. He's that kind of wild card. But they've told you, or they've all but told you who it is and who to expect and who to get excited about. So Jericho is the fifth man, you think, for the heels? Yeah. But, like, was this to show you a babyface? It can't be a babyface thing because they were setting up something with Guevara, weren't they? It was situational because he was in yeah, Canada. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's situational babyface for that night. Kind of worked on me a bit, though. Kind of worked on me. And if this is a pivot, they did a really tremendous job of not neglecting the ongoing JAS dissension. The, I have a problem with that as well, but we'll get into it. <laughs> Uh, a vignette with the Punker and Samoa Joe. It's the uh, Owen Hart semi-final tournament on uh, on Collision, which of course me and Sid will preview uh-huh. tomorrow. Um, Punk says it's another chapter in the rivalry, but this time he's going to win it. Obviously, uh, Joe's going to have to get uh, get him stretched out in order to beat him. And Joe just says, "Yeah, nothing's going to change. <laughs> same same as it has been before." Uh, and Punk says, "Whatever's left of me is going to move on to the finals." I, I could have had another minute of this. I was gripped. I cannot. Uh, wait. I cannot wait for this match. Re- Great job of building this one up. Like flawless, really, between mm-hmm. Collision and this uh, backstage sort of um, supplement. And oh, Team Taz, all, se- all Team Taz semi-final as well, the other side. Unpredictable as well. Yeah. yeah. How are you feeling? We haven't talked about this in the office, um, and I won't be doing Collision previews with you. How are you feeling about the soft brand split three weeks in? Video packages on different channels. As, as yeah. we saw with that rating... It is entirely dependent on CM Punk. Like, absolutely yes. entirely dependent on CM Punk. Um, it's weird. There aren't enough characters on Collision. It feels lopsided. It feels like Dynamite's unaffected mm. um, by missing a few people. If anything, it benefits. Maybe they could stand to lose a few more. Um, I maintain the position. As good as Collision has been, I haven't been blown away by a single episode. I've really enjoyed it and appreciated mm. it. Um, it's still bittersweet for me. It's still a bittersweet, volatile political situation that because I expect it to implode at any moment, <laughs> I can never really invest in it. Uh, Roderick Strong's backstage with Renee. I think Andrade is him as a baby face. Nah, I don't give a toss. Nero maybe could be that second guy. Andrade, no for me. I can't emotionally invest in Andrade. He's just not that type of wrestler in my eyes. I'm fully on the hook with this trios thing yet either. The match is going to rule, but, you know, yeah, that's more often the case, isn't it, with these House of Black things? Almost every match on AEW television rules. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's where we are now. Uh, yeah, so Roddy's backstage with Renee Paquette. Renee Paquette's doing her best Bugs Bunny impression. What's up, Doc? Uh, Doc Sams says... <laughs> oh, God. Christ. What the hell are you doing? Embarrassing yourself. <laughs> yourself. <laughs> they say they need to be careful with Strong's injury history, but Strong's like, I'm fine. Adam Cole comes in and says, be careful. 
Uh, and uh, Strong's like, what the hell are you doing with MJF? And Cole's like, oh, sorry, we've just got a text from him. Banging on about double clotheslines or something. See you in a bit. There's the um, headlock takeover for Adam Cole and MJF. The move law now, double clothesline, whatever. I, I just think this is... I think Cole... They're going to hit it. Yeah. Yeah. Huge pair. Like, I think Cole is trying so hard to remain the cool hand Luke in this situation. And a little segment like this reminds you that he's actually playing quite a dangerous game because the more he sort of warms, the more he forgets his own plan and falls into the trap. Yeah. I love, I love this story. Uh, and then we got MJF and Adam Cole versus <laughs> awesome team of Daddy Magic and the Butcher. Literally on the graphic, it's awesome. Yeah. I saw the promo. Should have put it on Dynamite. Yeah. I agree. Because why put these two specifically together when everyone's going to be like, oh, well, it's the best um, background Survivor Series 80s dynamic you've ever seen in the Yeah. He only said in action as well. We didn't know about this until after we recorded the preview. I only needed that one promo with yeah. an extra minute on it. This is AEW's Graveyard Dogs for me. We're going to be we're going to be like wishing Magic Meat could have had 10 more matches than they did. Like the I don't know why he put these two specifically together when it could have, it, as it turns out, in the body of the match, it could have been anyone. You yeah. didn't get, they didn't even realize the law of the dynamic of Magic Meat. <laughs> and maybe we never will. And uh, MJF does the Cole poses during his entrance. Cole's a bit knocked by this, but. This was so good. By the way, when he ran down, he, picked, he sat, looked at Cole and was like, Christ, I and he ran to that little side by the ramp to slap some fives. Yeah, and then yeah. immediately I like, walked in front of him. Just I'm just great at this, isn't it? Every time they do this. Uh, what was the gear law you were telling me about in the office as well? MJF, he had when he was feuding with Punk, he had Candido trunks and he had Steve Austin trunks getting in and stunning Steve Austin. Stunning Steve Austin ones from WCW. And, and he bust them out again tonight. Obviously, Austin is Adam Cole's real name. MJF always thinks about this sort of stuff. The America trunks, by the way, we haven't talked about on collision. Oh yet. my god. Awesome. Uh, so Butcher and Daddy Magic attack from behind and stomp on him. Um, MGF just fires back up, slaps Daddy Magic in the face, gets an abdominal stretch on. Uh, basically, the story of this match was abdominal stretches. Uh, and MGF's close enough to be like, Cole, do the thing. Help me out. Cheat a little bit. And he gets, do it, do it, do it. And Cole reluctantly, oh, fine, does it. Um, and uh, and uh, Daddy Magic gets out of there. Uh, we go to a break. When we come back, um, MGF's the one who's isolated. He's getting stretched by Daddy Magic and the Butcher. Uh, MGF cheats to escape. I can't remember if this is an eye poke or a ball shot. I can't remember now. Uh, but regardless, he makes the tag to Cole. He runs wild. Pump kick, neck breaker to Daddy Magic. MGF's like, double close, Hein. Uh, but instead, Butcher and Daddy Magic eat super kicks. And uh, Cole lowers the boom on Daddy Magic to get the one, two, three. We'll talk about the post-match in a sec, but your thoughts on the action. Uh, it was fine. It was fine for what it was. They got the story over in the body of the match, but it just was a bit bittersweet for me because as soon as I saw oh, the Butcher mm. and Daddy Magic, I mean, let's go, and I didn't get enough fun out of that bit. It was all about the post-match anyway. MJF's And the not doing the double clothesline because when they do it, yes. they've built the pop. Yeah. This I is better for what it wasn't than for what it was. You need more nipple work for me. With Daddy Magic. <laughs> I, I like this match, but I think it's rooted in how much I like this pairing and this idea. Mm. I'm just a genius. He's an absolute genius. When he first started out in AEW and was this throwback heel, they, he, everyone, like you were told, 
well, not only is he just a promo guy and not an in-ring guy, but you were told that, well, like, it's really hard to be a heel now. And he just worked at proving people wrong in that regard. He, Cedric made a point a while ago when we were talking about a particular WWE segment that reminds you that WWE can't function. The wrestlers can't exist in the universe they exist in because they acknowledge the crowd half the time, they acknowledge the camera half the time, and don't the other. It doesn't make sense at a core level, and yet, like, idiots like me just don't care. And on it goes. Like, we have cinema every week, even though they're literally sat in the stands eating the popcorn as they're in the film itself. <laughs> it can't, like, it can't function. We have community theatre every week. <laughs> it can't function, despite the fact they're holding the Shakespeare plays in I their hands. I wrote and directed a play at university, and it was better than the blood. <laughs> <laughs> well, that needs a podcast all of its own. Find that on tape so we can review that. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. MJF spots that and tries to address it in all of his stories, and that I find that so impressive. You can't do a... He's fooling you anymore. Like, you got that once, and it was with Cody when we got to watch a year of being the elite build. This guy's the biggest arsehole in the world. But you were able to watch Cody be like, I know, but he won't turn on me. He's awful to Kazarian the second I leave the room, and he hates Pharaoh. But he's not going to turn on me specifically, guys. It's fine. He gave me his scarf to punch some glass. He is Cody. You were then instructed to think, Cody, mate, don't be so trusting. It's a babyface trait of Cody to trust him. From then on, MJF has always thought, I will I will fix this invisible wall problem that plagues wrestling. And he's doing it here. This tag team thing cannot work in 2023 because we've seen the heel mm. deceive the babyface. We've seen the babyface that thinks he's too clever for the heel. We've seen, seen, seen. And yet, through the body and Matt, like the way these two are working together, MJF is trying his hardest to make it believable again. Even as he's mimicking the entrances, there's a certain look in his eye and a sneer and a kind of like, how long do I have to go along with this? Where you're supposed to be going, mm, Cole's putting up with him. MJF putting up with this too. Yeah. And I just think he's like, he in every single storyline, he takes the thing that people say he can't do anymore and he, and he does it. Mm. It's Guerrero I, Batista, I said this before, didn't I? Like a really good comparison and that was sadly never paid off because yeah. of Eddie Guerrero's death. They were very patient and had the match and Batista won and Eddie didn't cheat. And you're like, oh, how long a game is Eddie playing here? You know, and this is, I think this is an, a, like, that's a great comparison because we never saw that. We're going to see the payoff here. Um, what do you say? What do you call uh, MJF? You say he was a... A genius. Yeah, because it's funny because he said this about this podcast. One of the only professional wrestling podcasts that's actually worth a f- Tell me when he's telling lies. Get on the level of the devil. Uh, Take it from a genius. <laughs> Post-match. Anyway, MJF takes the mic and says, any devil worshippers out here tonight? And I'm like, sat at home going, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he says, uh, oh, is anyone else uh, fans with a guy with a super over name? Cole, do the thing. <laughs> Cole obliges. Uh, MJF says, another bro session this weekend. Crowd chance, yes. Cole says, okay. And he goes to leave, and MJF says, oh, actually, one more thing. Happy birthday! And the confetti's and the stuff comes off. And MJF gets going in all of it. Um, in the streamers and what have you. And the, get the crew out of here, and they come out. And like you say, they've got the cake, and they've got the hats. the security guard was hamming it up brilliantly. <laughs> what, is it the one who had the balloon tied to him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was yeah. fantastic. Uh, he got party hats on. There's some great visuals in there. Probably featured in uh, Ups and Downs, one would assume. Is it the same security guard? who MGF gave the crossroads to prove that he could do it after botching it against Hangman. Maybe a bit of law there. Maybe they've made friends. Good deep cut. Cole says, uh, Look, this, is a, this is a lot. And MGF says, no, we're here to celebrate you. And he busts out the birthday song. And yes, I have already isolated the audio of him singing happy birthday, Adam, for my birthday next month. <laughs> uh, Cole says, I get it. You're a good singer. I appreciate all this. You've done more than enough. And MGF says, ah, one more thing. 
got to make a wish. There's a make a wish chant. Uh, and uh, MGS like, how many up to the camera? I'm going to shove a fucking cake in his face when he blows out the candle. But of course, he goes to do that. Cole dodges it and shoves MGF's face in the cake. And he's like, oh, what we like? Eh? We've just become best friends. Uh, and Cole's like, good cake. Um, and they do eat the cake. And MGF eats the cake. Uh, and Cole says, Max, Max, listen to me. I want to. It's nice of you to do all this. And I want to say thank you, my friend. And he walks off as MGF eats frosting in the ring. I loved this. I loved it. But I've got one really like minor pedantic problem. Like, again, as I said earlier, I love the idea that, all right, this guy's a threat. Um, he might be better than me, and I kind of know it, even though I do not want to acknowledge that. I need to re- literally reduce this guy to size. I need to make him feel like he's a new lombed, um, like pansy compared to me. Mm. I need to make him feel like he's a child, so he gets the tiny little birthday cake. I need to make it feel like I'm the one with the power in this dynamic. Fundamentally, they are using... WWE is the byword. WWE adjacent tropes and mm-hmm. sports entertainment storytelling to tell the story of a really threatened, insecure, basically little monster... Like, he's so pushy with his friendship. Like, he's sort of Joffrey if he didn't die and grew up. (laughs) Like, this horrible little bastard. And you can tell he's like a broken, wounded bird, and that's been a big sort of, like, aspect of his character. Like, ah, he's just this kid who didn't really have many friends, and now he's too over-eager. And when people are, like, repelled by that, he just becomes this monster and hates them. And this will get more serious. I just... He's too good at lightweight material, MGF. And I know, again, this will get serious when it peaks at the right time. It's been planned in advance, probably for months, like everything MGF does. But I just think that the cake stuff brought into focus to me that he's done the cake in the face bit for the second consecutive program that he's been in. And a part of me would like, he's too good at being funny at times. Too good at lightweight. And I know why the lightweight material exists. This is ground we've covered extensively on this podcast. Part of me was just thinking I'm ready to have MGF versus Eddie Kingston. I'm ready to have MGF doing CM Punk. If they'd done MGF Cole after MGF Danielson, I think I'd be off to the races, just enjoying the ride, knowing that the fun is fun and you'll get the serious later. I just think doing two face-in-the-cake spots brought into focus to me. I'm kind of ready for proper serious MGF because as good as he is at lightweight material, as we saw in the punk stuff last year, he's one of the best, if not the best, emotionally resonant storytellers in the business as well. Maybe I'm being impatient. I think when these things come together, it's going to be absolutely exhilarating as well. Like CM Punk catching up with Adam Cole backstage and just being like, Cole, mate, you're a sweetheart. But don't let that get in the way of what's happening yeah. with him. You know who he is. Like, I can't wait for those things to overlap. I just, wrestling's got a problem for me. And it mostly takes place in the 20 minutes between bells when a wrestling match happens. Yeah. Because between this and Maxine Dupree's arm drags this week, I was like, this is this is wrestling. This is a good stuff. More <laughs> of this. More of this. Like, it's, I, I need to feel a bit more for more of these characters than I'm getting at the mm. moment. And I like, I genuinely, and I know it's not necessarily the most popular thing when you're dealing with world titles. And I want... You know, the Kingston run, and I cannot wait for getting back to Punk, and it's just to feel big. But I like, I welcome a lot of this. Maybe it's because of the people involved as well. Would I be as kind to this beat for beat if it was Chris Jericho? 
Possibly not. Mm. So maybe there's an element of personal taste and biases because I think Cole's perfect in the role. Like, we've re- seen over the past few weeks that they have finally found where Adam Cole fits in AEW. Too popular to be the heel because we were just desperate to cheer him for years. Um, not believable enough as a baddie in AEW because he's such a nice guy. Here's the sweet spot. Yeah. So, like, long may this continue as well. Uh, Renee Paquette's backstage with Britt Baker, uh, asking about her thoughts on Ruby Soho's promo last week. Uh, Baker says, I don't care what people think about her, but Soho lies when she says she's taken everything uh, I cared about. I'll always have my pride, um, which you don't have, Ruby. Uh, and I'll also have this, the Owen Hart belt from winning it last year against Soho, of course. Um, and they're about to fight. But before that, we get to Renee Paquette with Chris Jericho, Daniel Garcia, and Sammy Guevara. Um, Paquette asks about the the maybe that uh, Jericho gave. And Garcia's like, yeah, we need you. And JS, Chris Jericho. Jericho says, no, no, no. You both need room to grow. And uh, Paquette informs them that uh, Garcia and Guevara have become top partners in this blind eliminator, eliminator tournament. And Jericho says, this is perfect. You can win the titles without me. You can't be with me forever. You, uh, you can finish what you started. I like how they've overlapped it and folded it in and not disregarded the fact that they've built something. If, in fact, this Jericho Callus is a workaround for Danielson not being there. With this blind eliminator, blind eliminator tournament, okay, I guess because of the inherent contrivance of it. It's, an, it's a contrivance facilitator is what it is. Just take it as it is. That's what it's there for. You're either on board or you're not. The idea that, oh, they're two rivals, but they got drawn at random. Mm-hmm. It's just meant to be the feature and not the bug of this sort of thing. So it's one thing to have to swerve in our glory and MGF and Cole. It's fine. That's kind of what this exists to do. Why have two semi-established tag teams in there? I know the answer to advanced storylines. Yes. Yeah. But... I just having Garcia and Guevara and Alan and Cassidy, it's not just what are the chances? It's a little bit uninspired. Like, I want this to be like uh, up to its nuts in stupid guts. <laughs> Bill and Brian's the best. Bill and Brian's the best. And, like, to be fair, Matt Hardy and Jeff Jarrett's like a nice gag and random. They've never interacted, and you've done a good Jeff joke, and but, then you've like, it, I, I hate it. It's cool, but like it makes more sense within the context of a blind eliminator yeah. than Darby Allen Orange Cassidy, for Not example. Random and stupid enough for me, but there's been so much greatness to come out of it so far that I can't really complain. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm liking the the stories. It's feeling that like oddly, it does feel PKW to me because of the overlaps and the like the potential of the pairings and the like. We're kind of ha- it's still a little. It's been obvious when there's obvious losers right now, but that's going to go because we're only going to be left with obvious winners, so the brackets are going to feel unpredictable. There are, at least at this point, two makeshift teams who don't care about the titles. Fundamentally, I cannot not complain about that. It's not in my DNA. Uh, Owen Hart Cup match next. Uh, Ruby Soho versus Britt Baker. Uh, Yeah, rerun of the final, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, from last year. Um, Soho gets sent to the floor early to regroup, and unsurprisingly, there are the outcasts uh, to... Well, to not run interference early on, they were just uh, they saying, we're not doing anything. Um, but that didn't last very long. Um, that allowed Soho, just their presence allowed Soho to take over the leg sweep into the break. Um, and then, yeah, it really ramps up the uh, outcast interference. Baker fights back, swinging Fisherman's neck breaker, gets her a two count. She goes for the lockjaw. 
uh, but takes too long. Soho tries no future, but Baker counters that. Storm trips up Baker. That allows Soho to hit a nice Saito suplex for a near fall. Soho misses a dive off the top rope. Baker gets her into the lockjaw, but Soraya again interferes. Um, Soho sends Baker straight into the Owen Hart title that's being held in the corner by Tony Storm, and Soho hits no future for a fantastic near fall. She goes for lockjaw to Soho, but Baker kicks off the ropes and goes for it herself, and the outcasts have to pull Ruby Soho to safety. Baker has had enough at this point. She takes out Storm and Soraya with super kicks, um, but Soho gets the victory roll, um, holds on to Tony Storm on the outside to get the one, two, three, uh, and they celebrate and go to the back, and here's Sky Blue for a face-off with Ruby Soho ahead of their uh, semi-final. Um, what did you make of all this? I know you, you're a big outcast guy, so I'm going to go to you first here, Hamlet. I love the outcasts, um, and I understand, before I criticise it, that the nature of their gimmicks kind of require this amount of cheating. Um, this was a sloppy match, but I quite enjoyed it because it felt like a struggle. Like... I, I didn't mind that they didn't necessarily always seem on the same page because at least it didn't betray the idea that they were having a fight. Like so, I could I could allow for that, and the interference helps that because there was a good sense of chaos, and that's what the outcasts are supposed to bring. Unless you've got the numbers to match them, Sidgwick rightfully complains that bloodline matches require a ref bump to remotely make sense, and then Adam Pearce doesn't like mm-hmm. punish them the next night or whatever. And we've had that for months and months and months, years now at this point with Roman Reigns. Bump the ref. Like, the amount of cheating in this one, I'd rather there be a ref bump because... I'd rather have the manager's license revoked. Well, yeah. Yes. Like, and we're banned from ringside. It's, like, what it's, do they expect to happen? Garbage. It's absolute garbage to watch. But again, this is the point. Like, the, mm. the outcasts are supposed to do this, but be more sophisticated in how you cheat. Like, are we even bothering taking the ref at this point? Like, the, it's an extension of the... The Don Callis thing at Forbidden Door, it's an extension of about four matches at double or nothing minimum, maybe more for our lost count. Like, it's, I'm not going to pick on this as a particular bugbear, but I can't have it shown to me in such a way and not have a bit of a complaint with it because it's just annoying. It's just like, oh, like, well done, you stupid idiot babyface for not having friends. Like, because the rest are not going to do anything about it. Tony Khan's not going to do anything about it. So it's on you, babyface, for not having mates. That's what it makes you do. It's on you, Adam Pierce, for not just shutting the bloodline down. Where's Sheeta? Yeah, like it's just yeah. like the. She's. I think she was working Rampage last week, maybe with the Tower Valkyrie or something like the that. The cheats are relentlessly prospering with little to no authority stepping in the way of it, and it just like takes piss. Sheeta Nightingale wasn't Rio briefly. Yeah, aligned with the non-outcast as well. So again, Vietnam's so- this endless loop of outcasts versus babyface, distract the ref, cheat, win. It's a loop that is literally, to me, as uninteresting as a bus route. <laughs> There's just It's just being on a bus and going around at the same stops <laughs> at the same pace. Going to the airport to watch the planes fly. And then, yeah, and then the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And the more it goes on, the more it becomes illogical to me because why are they allowed at ringside? If Tony Khan is meant to be booking the sports-centric promotion, and he's meant to be a babyface promoter, and it's not corny in that weird way WWE has been for the last 25 years, where they do stupid things to facilitate more cheating, thereby kind of unwittingly portraying themselves as a heel, unfair, corny racket. I hate how AEW is going on this route. The match was at once bad and way more dramatic than it had any right to be. And I will say one thing, for once, for once, 
even though they kind of made a mug of the referee throughout the matches, they always do. Mm. The referees are stupid. Um, that the blocking of the holding onto the hand to get the roll up was actually like a proper smash mm. and grab mm. that you can the referee would not have seen. It was really well timed and well um, thought out. But I just this took two minutes to book. That's the thing. Outcast oh, cheating. Baker does the job. Two minutes to book, and it will last just as long in the memory. Like, what a waste of my friggin' time. And I know you and mean. Rob, uh, sorry, one more thing before you uh, take your turn. I'm sorry. Uh, Britt Baker hasn't felt as lukewarm as this mm. since she turned and got over. Does far too many jobs. And it's get the point now where not only is it boring and redundant and illogical, it's actually um, unproductive. Yeah. Baker has never felt more lukewarm in this promotion. Uh, and it annoyed me. The placement of this, shout out to uh, Adam Blair, uh, at Adam Wilton 4, and, and Jose Palomares at the Ho 11, who usually take care of the uh, data for ladies. Night. No ladies night this week, because obviously Sid wasn't here for the preview. Usually you just say, oh, four hours, ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not this year. We've tried, I've tried to be consistent this year. Yeah. Uh, one hour, 25 minutes, and 49 seconds, odd. yeah. Um, yeah, well, we'll do we'll do the the fun MJF Adam Cole match, and then we'll calm them down with the women's match, and then we'll get them up again for Omega Wheeler <sighs> Utah. Clockwork. Yeah. Also, some great photos on Adam Blair's Twitter at Adam Wilton for if, if Twitter is about to die, he's peaked. He's got him in the background of Becky Lynch's en- entrance from Money in the Bank. I had amazing seats. The only the person in shot yeah. for that, mm-hmm. and he's got a brilliant selfie as his profile pic with him. And one Ray Mysterio. Yeah. So go and check him out. Adam Wilt at Adam Wilton four. But main event time, Kenny Omega versus Wheeler Utah. Uh Kenny Omega patched up, understandably, uh, for his match. First match since Forbidden Door. Because uh, he suffered a storyline injury in it. <laughs> you uh yeah, you can't complain about this move now, can you? Those losers can't now say, well, that was a waste, because it wasn't. Not only was it the only thing anybody talked about after the match, but it was literally sold in the next one. Yeah. Like that's how you do this. It was, I'm fine, I'm built different. Yeah. <laughs> So Utah obviously goes after him immediately at the bell. Um, and like you say, yeah, subsequently, he hits the Kataro Crusher. He's going for You Can't Escape, but oh, bloody hell, everything hurts. Uh, and that allows Utah to recover and get his knees up for the moonsault. So shut up, everyone. Uh, <laughs> He's drop- kind of like kind of like a Canadian Will Ospreay. How would he complain about that specific injury? Oh! <laughs> I shouted him in Canadian. Yeah. A-, a boot. Oh, I've got a pain to pull me fucking neck. <laughs> God, I can't do it. Straight in the Gallagher. Uh, oh, sacre bleu. <laughs> me fucking neck. Nailed it. N- neck a la f- <laughs> uh, So Mega gets drop kicked outside. You uh, hit him with a great tope. Uh... Yeah, and Omega tries fighting back, but you it's like he's got a big glowing weakness spot. So you you targets that as we go into break and throughout the break. When we come back, Omega hits that running palm strike to uh, to come back and a oh, wild looking fisherman's buster. You uh, dodges the V trigger, angle slam basically for a near fall. He goes up top, takes too long though. Omega um, gets in with a big superplex off the top. Um, 
And uh, you uh, plants Omega with a nice bridging soup, uh, bridging German after that, after they've gone back and forth. Rolling German attempts by Uta, but Omega gets out of that and uh, hits a V-trigger and some Snapdragons. Uta goes for the roll-up, uh, but Omega catches him with another V-trigger. Uta counters the one-winged angel into the seatbelt pin, because, of course, the history with that between them two. Um, but Omega gets up, power bombs him, V-triggers him. Don Callis comes out to distract Omega uh, and security and the ref, of course. And that allows in, uh, the uh, evil to Kanosuke Takeshita to come in and hit a blue thunder bomb. Yuta hits a splash but can only get two. Yuta uh, goes to climb the ro- ropes, but Omega, I thought he, kicked, he just punched him in the bollocks, but I realized watching it back, it's a brilliant shot through the legs, to the face, uses where he is to pick him up. One winged angel, one, two, three. Post-match, Claudio hits the ring with Takeshita to put the boots to Omega. Here come the Young Bucks and Adam Page, though, with chairs to to scare them off. Um, Castagnoli ate a BTE trigger. Page goes to chair shot, but in comes the Dark Order to take the chair away uh, for a stare down to close the show. I'm going to forget about the Dark Order. Put me in a mood for the end of the show. Um, I've already said that it's BCC versus Elite. I like the mystery component. The matches have been incredible. They're basically playing CM Punk surrogates and they've never fleshed out a personal issue that I can invest in between these two units. And now they're diluting it with the addition of the Dark Order. And it's essentially become yet more backdrop for internal strife among the Elite. Go away with that. Yeah, This match was... Great, and Kenny Omega, it's a goat. <laughs> he came out with, I love worked kinesio tape. Mm. Kenny Omega's a genius. I'll say that word probably quite a lot here. Kenny, uh, on the road to Control Center, whatever, socials, Wheeler Yuta, like the obnoxious little bastard that he is, like was licking his lips at the idea of, oh, not only have I pinned Omega before with assistance, Oh, he's broken from that match. I'm going to beat him again. It's like, oh, you're not, you're not going to beat him, though, are you? You're going to beat the injured Omega. So it's really great heel work. I'd forgotten that promo and thus what it was going to tell you about the story of the match when Omega botched the You Can't Escape. That's the best work botch I might have ever seen in my goddamn life. I've seen them before. I've seen people do a springboard off the ropes when that ankle has been worked over. I thought, that's really good. This is uh, Kenny Omega's built different. Kenny Omega's different. He's, Kenny Omega's better than your favorite wrestler. Kenny Omega is better than the guy you think is the best wrestler of all time. He, like, really looked like he crunched his ankles. You looked at me when he said your favorite wrestler. Like, I'm thinking, hmm, right now, CM Punk. And then you looked at Wilborn, like your favorite of all time. And Tyson O'Neill. Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> or Tony D. He looked, like, genuinely, not. he didn't just sell the pain of the neck. He looked furious with himself because he's got these impeccable in-ring standards. He looked like he'd taken a pretty, like, devastating blow to both his ankles and his neck. And in that moment, he boomed me. I thought, God, Kenny, it's it's all right. You only do one per match, if ever, so you'll be fine. And then he starts selling the neck, and then the entire story's built around that spot. Oh, my God. Which is fantastic, because... This is what I talk about when I talk about AEW being better than WWE. Are you happy? I'm just going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Just the thought that goes into it. In... WWE, on Raw, they present these back-and-forth matches, nice little matches in front of dead crowds because you're meant to do back-and-forth and and lengthy enough matches because that's what these modern fans like. This is how you do a back-and-forth with a wrestler who's completely on a different level to his opponent. It's the word injury, but it's not just, oh, uh, I'm a trained professional, but oh, I've tweaked my knee in this one. How do you do that every time? You must be that trained. It's all riffing on the back of the Forbidden Door match. 
And it makes sense that it's Yuta because his character is a little brat, a little opportunist, the guy who thinks he's one of the hard lads, but he isn't. He's just cosplaying as one. I just love the dynamic and how they made a back and forth make sense. And then it makes sense later on that Kenny Omega can kick out of the seatbelt. One, you think it's done because they've already done that finish at Forbidden uh, Double or Nothing. But I didn't catch this. It was Gran Akuma. When he's doing the seatbelt, he cannot get the leg. He cannot get that leg. So Omega can kick out, which he does at 2.9 because he's just the best. Oh, my God. Because he's a genius. Oh, my God. And when you think it's a really nice little TV match, main event that cares more about its character dynamic than this blowaway like match of the air contender because it's not the time to do that. The last three minutes were the pulsating Kenny Omega palpitations that you get in every Kenny Omega match. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He, uh, very little to add, he uh, has made a habit in AEW of proving himself the best cumulative damage wrestler in the world, sometimes at his own expense. Like that's too clever for these swine. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't here. Sometimes it has been. It wasn't here. It was perfect here because we've got the recent memory of the Ute of victory. And how else do you sell? Is he going to beat Kenny Omega in a singles dynamite main event? Of course he's not. Wait, my oh Jesus Christ, he's gonna. I bought that he would at various yeah. points. Like and the setup, friggin' hitting the one winged angel from that position because why would Kenny Omega as broken ears be able to do that? The whole point of the one winged angel. It's really hard and intricate to get up there because once you're up there, you're dead. So, like, if he's going to hit you with it, you're dead. I love but, the struggle to do it as well. Yeah, it's never not a struggle because... And it's worth the struggle because it's the ultimate kill shot. It, that's it, yeah. Every wrestler has to scout and scout and scout that and have mm. 15 different counters because A, Okada taught them to in 2017, but also because, like, they've never seen anybody kick out of it, so they have to. And then he's now got to be opportunistic in hitting it himself because his body's broken down from Will Ospreay getting a claim and he can't even hit your special finisher unless somebody's already in position for you. It's, it's brilliant. It's like next, it, like it, I agree with Cedric in every set. Like I love CM Punk. CM Punk is still a pro wrestling seller versus the way that Kenny Omega sells and mm. thinks. I want to see them work together. Man. Both can work and both can collide, and it can be beautiful. But like that's the that is the difference. I think you get in an Omega match. I love this. I, but I always knew I would. Like Kenny Omega singles matches rip ass, and like, I was welcoming of it. Like, yeah, oh god, get, get lost. Post match, I'm ready for blood and guts. Yeah, yes. ready for blood and guts. I have to do it, but I'm ready. Yeah. Let us know your thoughts on AW Dynamite then on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there. You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. Make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Me and Sidgwick will be back tomorrow to look ahead to AEW Collision. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.